Hey everyone, Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time, and we go over pretty much anything we feel like doing because it's our webcast. Um, but we go over all things astronomy, what's up in the nighttime sky, uh, helpful hips, uh, tips, hips, uh, tips and tricks on observing with your equipment, imaging, uh, or having special guests on like we're doing today. Um, so if you're new to the channel, uh, go ahead and subscribe. It keeps us up to keep you up to date on all the new episodes and content that we have coming out. Um, and if we release anything else, uh, you'll be the first ones to know on that. So um, like I said, we do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, and we go over anything we feel like really. And my name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America. Now, today's a special episode. Every Friday, um, I'm sorry, every last, the last Friday of every month, we have a special guest speaker coming on. And this week, we have our really good friend, Stephen Ramsden, from the Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project and Sunlit Earth. Um, and if you haven't heard of him, shame on you. And if you have heard of him, which I'm sure you've, you've heard of him, um, we're happy to have him on here today. So I'm going to drag Steven in here real quick. Um, if you have any questions, just try to save them to the end. We'll try to get to that last 15 minutes. We'll do a, a, a Q&A for Steven there. But uh, let me bring Steven in real quick. Hey, Steven, how you doing? Hey, everybody. Uh, it's great to be here, Kevin. I'm really, I'm really, hold on a minute. I got a call. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, be me up, Steven. Yeah. Oh, hang on a minute. Is Jeff Simon on the show yet? Because uh, Jeff's, Jeff's watching. <laughs> okay, because it's for him. They want to know uh, if his port stabilizers need to be reset or if his uh, what, what's the word? His EPS grid is functioning. Oh wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's also a triple here that would like to to speak to Jeff. Okay, there we go. And and live long and prosper, everyone. Remember, infinite diversity and infinite combination is the way to go. There How's you it go. going, Kevin? Good. It's it's never a dull time talking to you. I know you've always got gizmos and gadgets and all kinds of fun stuff floating around. Don't make know. me get out my bird head. That, that one's pretty scary. We're saving that for later. <laughs> so if, now that all of you are fully aware of how Steven operates, um, usually larger than life, uh, you've I'll ask, I ask the same question to everybody who's on. Um, How did you get started in astronomy? Because we all have this, you know, weird path that's taken us yeah, into man. this world. So. Yeah, and I'm no exception. Um, and I want I want to say uh, seriously though, thank you so much to Skywatcher USA, along with uh, Celestron and Mead and Rainbow Symphony, for making this program what it is and and allowing us to do, to do the great things we've done. I'm very grateful to uh, to all you guys and uh, Kevin. I've watched you from from sulky teenager all the way through getting married, having your first kid, having your second kid, becoming a big name in the industry, and I'm I'm just so proud of you, man. I can't stand it. So, you are the future of outreach, and uh, I feel like you know it's 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 my privilege to talk to you on the show. Well, so I um, appreciate you taking <laughs> the, the time. <laughs> well, when I was. Uh, a little kid, um, you know, I was a nerd, man. I was chubby and I was the guy that wore dress socks in gym class and uh, my dad's button down shirts and stuff. So they called me professor in school and, uh, you know, I was kind of made fun of and stuff. And, uh, you know, it turned out that that was really a great, great thing for me. I didn't like it much at the time, but um, I was the smart kid that everybody cheated off of. And, and uh, when I was in, in high school, we didn't have middle school back in those days. This is, you know, back in the 16th century, basically. Um, I'm not that old, but it was a long time ago. We, we uh, had a chemistry teacher at my school who um, took me aside and said, you know, you're a big guy and they're probably going to want you to play football and everything and you do whatever you want to do in life, but I know that you have an aptitude for this science and I want you to really give this class, this chemistry class, a chance and see if you like it. And he gave me some labs to do and um, taught us how to make nylon from uh, – from a stick that you dipped into these two chemicals, uh, triaminic amino acid, I believe, and tetrahydrochloride or something. So I'll pull out the string of nylon and I was like, man, that is so cool. 
so at that point I said, you know, this is, this is cool stuff. This is, this is what I'm good at. And this is what I like. And I, I took it from there and ended up writing an essay in this guy's physics class. Now you got to remember this is Southwest Atlanta, the ghetto, uh, a place called Ben Hill. My parents uh, were both military. So we lived on uh, near a, an army base. So we were in the worst part of town and nobody really had access to super high end stuff. There was no, no such thing as a gifted program in, in my school, but I took the, the reins and, and went with it and wrote this essay for a national science foundation competition in the 10th grade. And I won, believe it or not. So I was given this opportunity to go to college, my first quarter of college at Georgia Southern, which is another podunk school out of the middle of nowhere. And the guest instructor for this class was none other than Carl Sagan. So Professor Carl Sagan, uh, this is 1981, uh, the same year that, that Cosmos was released on public television. It was the first show of its kind in the, in the United States. No one had ever seen anything like it. Sagan released it on public TV, uh, no commercials, no intent of making a fortune. His only intent was to get it distributed as much as possible. So here I am in Georgia Southern College in Statesboro, Georgia with uh, Carl Sagan teaching us basic computer language of all things, and uh, not astronomy. He was teaching a little bit of chemistry and a little bit of um, computer language. So that, that really was exciting for me, um, not to mention the Australian uh, 14 to 16 year old women's soccer team was also on campus at the time. And that was something new for me as well. <laughs> you know, I hadn't seen any girls and they certainly weren't interested in me because I was a chubby little brainiac. But that was a great year and I uh, finished high school, you know, with top honors and all that stuff, but we had no money. So I went into the military, uh, like my dad and my stepfather and my mother and, and my grandfather and everybody else in my family. And I took these tests and qualified for the uh, Naval Nuclear Propulsion Program. So there's a lot of academics, a lot of um, nucleosynthesis, a lot of nuclear engineering, et cetera. And I did my enlistment with uh, Navy subs and learned all about nuclear power. And when I got out, I really wanted to get involved in, in a, a scientific kind of thing. But this whole time from high school on, um, I, had, I had these telescopes my mom would buy from the Sears Roebuck catalog. That's right, Kevin, we had no internet in those days. Uh, if you wanted something, you went and got a catalog or they mailed it to you and you picked it and you circled it and you put it in an envelope and sent back with your check. And that's how you got a telescope. So I remember clearly when I was uh, eight years old, my first cardboard tube four inch reflector from Sears, uh, the first thing I did with this telescope was screw on the solar filter to the eyepiece and went and looked at the sun and until it exploded. And the eyepiece uh, filter broke within 15 minutes of me looking at the sun. And I was like, man, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was fascinated by how I could look at this star up close and, and see things even though I was risking my eyesight, obviously. Um, but I don't think I ever used that telescope for nighttime. Uh, it's just the sun has always fascinated me. And, and you know, I can go on and on, but I, I know this is a one-hour program, but, you know, there's, there's nothing more important to our existence in this universe than this star that's right next door. And, you know, for decades, really centuries, it was basically ignored. By astronomers because it's too bright to look at or it was dangerous or whatever but you know in the last half century it's really come to a point where a consumer can get a telescope that's totally safe to see these things and study these things and and like i say you know why why stare at something that's you know a million light years away when you got one eight light minutes away so that's the thing about the sun and i went through a few careers uh metalhead rocker uh copier repairman, pet, stock, pet store employee, uh, about a million other things. And I finally ended up in air traffic control. And that allowed me to make enough bank to, um, to actually do something to, uh, to enjoy this hobby of, of solar astronomy. And uh, around this same time in, in uh, 2006 or so, my friend Charlie Bates, who was a good friend of mine, a fellow veteran, uh, killed himself because of the demons that we all struggle with. Uh, his wife had died from cancer a year earlier. Uh, he'd started the self-destructive ways and ended up taking his life. And I thought, man, that's, that is such a, a, a weird thing. It's just, you know, when you're trying to understand 
why someone would do that to themselves. And around the same time, my own sister, who was two years older than me, uh, killed herself as well. So it was one of those uh, life-changing sort of things. And all this stuff happened at around the same time. And I decided, you know, I am doing very well. Uh, I've been very fortunate in my life. Um, and all of this could be traced back to a couple of adults when I was uh, in early high school, taking the time to show me something, to see that I was alive, to recognize that I had value of some kind and to teach me what they loved. And that's where it all came from, man. So around 2008, I decided I'm not gonna mess around anymore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy this equipment. I'm gonna create the greatest outreach program that's ever been known. And I'm gonna take it everywhere on earth I can possibly take it. And uh, my wife totally agreed. We started this nonprofit 501c3, the Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project, named in memoriam to my friend Charlie Bates. Uh, who was not an astronomer. Uh, he was just, just a really good guy who I watched go from the top of the world to the bottom and then death. And I didn't want that to happen to, to other people. I, I knew that the cure for this kind of depression was uh, giving people a chance and recognizing that they are of value. And that's what I wanted to do. I, the thing I loved the most was solar astronomy and physics and math. And that's what I had to offer. So that's what I started doing, man. And yeah, you know, I didn't get any grants from anybody. I didn't get any sponsors. I didn't do any of that. I just took my own money, uh, purchased the state-of-the-art equipment at the time and, and started doing it. So, you know, there was no excuses. There was no, somebody else needs to pay for it. It's me. Let's go do this. And, you know, the rest is history, Kevin. So that's, that's kind of how I got started in astronomy and how the Charlie Bates program uh, came to be. And, you know, you've been, you've been with me as good friends for most of that that journey. So you already know all this and I appreciate you letting me get on my soapbox. Oh yeah. <laughs> now that, that comes up a lot, you know, as someone who has their own outreach program is a lot of people kind of look at it and say, well, how do I get started? And they're kind of expecting to be at your level or my level and they see you have all this equipment and sponsors and blah, blah, blah. It's like, how do I get to this point? And I, yeah. you have to kind of show people that that takes a lot of work to build a program up to that level. So not it saying does. you can't do that, but, you know, if so anybody who's watching, if you want to start an outreach program, it's not hard, um, but it does require you personally to make that, you know, effort to start going out to your local Starbucks or a library or make an effort on start doing programs out there because if you want eventually to grow it and sponsored and stuff like that by companies like Skywatcher and such, they're going to want to look at your portfolio and ask you, and uh, we what are you doing? Get requests, you know, all the time from people um, and they're good, good meaning and they, they have the right motivation, but they always say, can I get a, you know, a solar astronomy set up from me? I get them at least five or six times a week. Can you send us a free telescope? Can you send us a computer and a camera? Um, and so many, in fact, that that I don't respond to any of them and haven't in years. And I'm sure that it's hard for you guys to do that as well. Um, what I do, and if anybody's interested in how you you know become a sponsor from this program, I look for people on Facebook that are actually doing solar astronomy outreach. And um, when I find those people, and I look at their pages for a while and see what they're doing, I contact them and ask them if I can help, you know, and, and I hate to be that way, but there's so many requests coming from so many shysters. Um, and I learned that the hard way, uh, you know, there were no sponsors of the Charlie Bates solar astronomy project for the first four years. It was, uh, me and, and, and we, you know, we have a thing where we never charge any fees for anything. I'm not interested in making any money. There's, there's no salaries involved, none of that. Um, but there were also no sponsors for the first four years. And I think my, my uh, key to success in that area and finally getting some big name sponsors was that they saw I was doing it myself without asking them for anything. And, and they wanted me to be associated with their product because it had grown so big on its own. Uh, these vendors at Neef and, and all these other shows, uh, they get a constant stream of people uh, that come up and have never done outreach before, have never done 
you know, anything, never been associated with them, never donated to their program, nothing. But they think that they should give them a free telescope and a free mount right there because they're going to do some outreach. And that's great. And I want, I encourage everyone to do that. But you're going to get a lot further by having an established thing you're already doing and say, here's what I'm doing now. Can you help us in some way to improve our program? That's the way to get into it. And uh, do you have to have a nonprofit? No. Um, I formed the nonprofit for tax reasons for myself because I was investing $75,000 a year, uh, about half my retirement into this program. And I wanted to have the tax benefit of not having to pay taxes on that. So that's why the nonprofit was formed. And since then, you know, in order to stay a, a nonprofit, you have to have a third of your money raised from someone besides yourself. So that's why we do these fundraisers once a year on Facebook. Um, and I can certainly use the money. But forming your own nonprofit is not necessary. Uh, it is a big advantage if you get large uh, because a lot of people that donate want to be able to write it off on their own taxes. And uh, forming a nonprofit, we've been through this with Kevin and, and, and several other people. It's good, it's right for some people, it's not right for other people. But it's just a matter of contacting a professional and going through your state and federal uh, internal revenue service and it's no big deal. If your motives are sincere, uh, that's not a problem and you can become your own nonprofit 501c3. Just about every astronomy club in the US is a uh, nonprofit. So nice. yeah, I know I'm droning on and on and on. You're gonna have to get one of those canes where they pull you off stage and play the music. <laughs> You've talked too much. Get, a, get out of here, Beyonce. You, you said too much. So, <laughs> so I, the last two weeks we've been talking about solar filters on our webcast. I know I've talked to you about this several times, but um, you know, with that, we've also gotten a lot of people asking, okay, I'm, I'm interested in the sun, especially because we are starting to approach another solar maximum in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but the, the big question I guess a lot of people have is, you know, what should I look at? And you've played, like myself, we've played with pretty much every solar scope on the face of the earth at this point. But um, what do you recommend someone who really wants to get serious about solar, probably starting to get into, maybe they've looked at a white light filter, they have mm -hmm. one, but now they want to get serious about it. What do you generally recommend for someone like um, that? I recommend they look at this. Beautiful black line. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, in a nutshell, this is the hydrogen alpha absorption line in the sun's visible light spectrum. And inside that line is an emission line called the hydrogen alpha emission line. And uh, that's that's where it's at, man, in consumer solar. Uh, you know, one thing I like about Skywatcher USA and uh, my other sponsors, Celestron and me, they all realize that promoting everyone's product like you do in your webcast is good for everyone's product. It's good for you. It's good for them. It's good for everyone. There's such a small, small, small niche of people that want to do this hobby right now that all of you working together, promoting each other's stuff is the way to go, man. Um, it's not going to hurt uh, if, if Kevin Lagore talks about Daystar filters on his program or Lunt filters or, or Coronados or whatever, or even Skywatchers stuff it's it's good for everybody so i really appreciate that and i do the same thing in my nonprofit. um but to get into solar astronomy uh, i would suggest you know getting a pair of solar glasses and looking at the sun and seeing how awesome it is and then if you already have a telescope you know add your uh, your your full aperture solar filter to it and that'll get your appetite wet and then i suggest uh, taking out your wallet and just emptying it on the counter at the skywatcher booth and just take whatever kevin says that's, that's my advice. And uh, no, really, um, there's, there's no better visual presentation of the sun and hydrogen alpha than you will see through a Coronado tilt tune telescope. And that's just the bottom line. Uh, there's no better imaging of the full disk sun than you'll see through a lot solar telescope that's pressure tuned. And there's no better close up high focal length view of the sun through a camera than you'll see through a Daystar uh, Quark. And, or, or there are other more expensive filters. So it's three different products aimed at three different uses and, and really promoting all of them at the same time promotes everyone. And that's that's the way to go, in my opinion. So thanks for doing that, Skywatcher. I mean, you know, I, if, ever, if, you're, if you ever go to a, an event, 
you know, a lot of, it's, you never have one setup that's, you know, it's never all Skywatcher. It's usually a Skywatcher mount with maybe an Explore Scientific telescope on it, with a ZWO camera on it, with whoever's filters, and, you know, it's always this hodgepodge collection of gear. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff we don't make, we probably won't make. We don't make cameras or motor focusers or all that, but there's plenty of other great people out there who do, so, you know, why not? I'd rather well, you be out there with a telescope than yeah, sitting inside watching the news over and over and over again. So. Yeah, there's no point in competing with other vendors in this program because, you know, everyone's so small. But I have my friend that runs our UK uh, affiliate, Mark Townley, has a Luntanato quark, which is, uh, you know, some kind of monstrosity that's that's got a Coronado tube with some Lun on the end of it and it's got some quarks on the other end of it and, you know, it doesn't matter, man. I mean, they're all great. I am sponsored by Coronado, and, and um, like I say, uh, if your interests are in visual, full-disc observing, that's the way to go, man. You can't beat it with any other product. Uh, and if your interests, interests are strictly imaging, then you're going to need to go with some of the other vendors. But um, these companies all work together, and it's, it's, a, real, it's a real pleasure. I'll tell you, um, uh, Corey Lee, uh, with Celestron is one of the greatest guys I've ever met. And I'm really, really proud to be associated with him. Uh, that guy has his head screwed on right. And I appreciate him. You know, I'm trying to get Jeff, Jeff Simon out there to come up to his level, man. But you know, he's, he's rough around the edges, man. I mean, <laughs> we got to work on him a little bit, but uh, no, I'm kidding. Jeff's awesome with Skywatcher and Victor Anacito over at Mead. Um, and Rainbow Symphony. I mean, when I said solar glasses, you know, Rainbow Symphony, it's the world's largest solar eclipse glasses maker, and they make all kinds of diffraction gratings and prisms and all kinds of cool things for you to use. So you don't have to spend $5,000 on a setup. You can spend 28 cents on a pair of diffraction gratings and get endless uh, hours of wonder and amazement if you really understand what you're looking at. So, so where do you start? Um, anywhere. <laughs> Almost everybody starts with a Coronado PST, and they move up from there. That's the most common uh, intro scope to to solar astronomy and I started with one, Kevin started with one, everybody starts with one. Still have one. I think you the have one too. To, to learn it. Yeah, I still have one also. Um, to learn it correctly and not just make it up, but to really truly understand what you're looking at when you see these things in the chromosphere. Uh, you know, astronomy clubs in the US have a tendency just to kind of glance over the info and then start promoting it to the public. It's really important that you know what you're talking about when you promote this and don't just make up some BS because you don't feel like learning it. So if you're going to start out in solar astronomy and you're going to share it with people, I strongly recommend, you know, going to the solarchatforum.com that we run and, and getting the real information and learning it. And Kevin and I have had many conversations about, about what's going on here, what's going on there. And he's learned from my experience. I've learned from his experience and it's just made both of our programs a lot better. I find that solar astronomy, it's not even the fact that um, solar astronomy, like, it's not even the fact that we're doing solar astronomy. There's really nothing to do with it. Um, but I find that is one of the best outlets for outreach because I've gone to air shows, science festivals, whatever, but because it takes place during the day, if you're into outreach, that's like the fundamental tool is to be able to do daytime astronomy because it's as someone who does nighttime outreach as well it's way easier to go hey there's an art festival this weekend i'm gonna get a booth and gonna go out there and do our thing and you know you just went through two three thousand people because that's where people are at it's way easier to do that than to drag people out to a dark sky site yeah like this one like this one <laughs> this is uh greg people who was my mentor and started me out greg people is still a big name uh he was a huge name in solar astronomy outreach in the early 2000s at neef and around the world and uh this is he and i uh at an event that steel hill invited us to you know still was with nasa and this is the Space Shuttle Discovery and the Space Shuttle Enterprise uh, being dedicated at the Smithsonian to uh, sit in the Smithsonian with each other. And look at how many people came out for this. We were the only extra add-on there. And we had eight, you know, five, 6,000 people come through that day. And you will never get this participation at night. This event would never have been held at night. Um, and we had a bunch of scopes set up and, and uh, you know, 
it's really tailor-made for science outreach because people come out in the daytime that would normally never show up at night for anything and they get exposed to a little bit of astronomy and, and they want to do it man so um everything you said is absolutely correct it's it's uh, tailor-made for daytime yeah, so if you're, if you're into outreach um, or you're looking to maybe start your own program, solar astronomy is much easier. You can, I found that solar astronomy is a really good way to segue people into my nighttime events, but it's, it's way easier to get, a, you know, like, I don't do tons of events. I do about 30 events a year, but I look for, I call them high impact events, which... It's just where there's tons of people at. So uh, for me, like the Tucson Festival of Books, it takes place at the University of Arizona. We get 110,000 people in two days. Um, yeah. We just set up out there um, and let people come through and check stuff out. And the cool thing about, and this is one thing that Stephen will appreciate, but we're nighttime, and I'm no one's bashing nighttime stuff right now, but... Um, solar astronomy is in a very unique position because be the fact that you're able to use multiple filters like white light, hydrogen, calcium, you're not only teaching people how to observe the sun and our nearest star and its advantages, but you're starting to teach them about chemistry um, spectroscopy. and spectroscopy as well. So you're able to hit on multiple levels of science. Um, using those telescopes right then and there and it blends all of that together really well um yeah you know you know the point here is to is to get the general public and people who have never been exposed to science interested in science and science is a uh, from a latin word scientia which means knowledge and uh, you can look around right now and see how stupid our general community is uh, compared to 50 years ago when we were landing people on the moon um, and there's never been a time where it's more important to get more people interested in reason, science, and knowledge than there is now. And solar astronomy is a great vehicle by which to do that. And I don't care if somebody looks at my scope and, and uh, doesn't want to be a solar astronomer, they want to be a chemist, or they want to be a, a stellar spectroscopist, or they want to be a, a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. But getting people involved in science, the one-on-one -on -one you have with them at the telescope and really, I can't stress enough, just recognizing that somebody's alive and worth something goes a long way to making someone's life different when they're young. Um, I live in a really uh, messed up city with a lot of racism and a lot of problems that we deal with. Um, and I can guarantee you that if you spend a few minutes with somebody that you would normally never even talk to, I just, you know, sincerely say, hey, man, this is what I do. This is what I love. Why don't you come over here and hang out with me and do it? You'll change that person's life. And uh that is a fact, and it doesn't matter if you're if you're you're doing outreach with a guitar, uh, you're teaching somebody to read, you're showing them science, uh, whatever. Uh, just the acknowledgement that you're a human being, and I see you, and I value you, is got exponential returns in people's lives, and I know that, and I guarantee you that will happen if those of you listening go out and do something. So whatever you love, whatever you're good at, don't keep it a secret, man. Share it, share it with somebody else. That's a big fun. I've found at my outreach events, there's, especially in today's era where everyone's got an opinion, whether it's right or wrong, or they've got a political <laughs> view or whatever it is. The Google like doctorate. It's, yeah. yeah, it's so easy to get into an argument nowadays with everything. But what I find with astronomy, what's really interesting, at least, is it a lot of that fades away very quickly because it almost digs into a person's fundamental interest of yes. where we fit in the universe and everyone has that whether it's you know five seconds of interest or a lifetime of interest right. um astronomy is clear in the fog kevin i'm clear yeah. in the fog man because everybody's got all these layers of social media walls between themselves and others now and everybody's isolated with the virus everybody's scared of everybody else it's always those people that are at or whatever but you know we are those people to half the country i mean it's just stupid. So I call it clearing away the fog. All you need is a friendly demeanor. And it's like, hey, man, you know, this is what I'm into. Come check it out. And, and it works. It works magic. It's amazing how much more value it is now with this isolationist approach we have in our society than it, even than it used to be. Because, uh, you know, it was pretty common for people to be very friendly here in Atlanta when they were walking around. You'd say hello. 
now nobody even looks at you because everybody's scared of getting sick. Everybody's scared that you might shoot them or something. So it's even of more value now to clear the fog in between you and just recognize the fact that you're both in it together. We got 99% of things in common, 1% of things we don't agree on. Let's just worry about the things we have in common. And uh, this, this really brings it out. It's really an icebreaker for people. Yeah, and that's, that's where I think outreach, uh, particularly for me, astronomy, has it has that ice-breaking effect um, where a lot of those layers drop away and you forget about a lot of that stuff, especially, and this is what I, in a way, like about the nighttime stuff as well, is you all look the same in the dark, right, right. so no one cares. So, right. but it's... Well, you astronomy. know, in, in uh, narrowband solar astronomy, everyone looks the same too, Kevin. Everyone's the same color. Yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 one of those things where I find that you know you might be going out to this event thinking I'm just going to show people the moon but there's a big underlying thing that you're going to bring to people that you might not be aware of or you become jaded to especially when you do it all the time but you never know what you going out and setting up a telescope is going to do for that particular individual. They might be having a really crappy time at life, and you just introduce yeah. them to something that's like, wow, this is really cool. I had a guy come up at Neef, um, and that's all very true, Kevin. It's very, you never know what somebody else is going through. And we've got so much nonsense now in our society that it's, it's difficult to make uh, personal contact with people. So I redouble my efforts to do it. But I had a guy come up at Neef a few years ago, uh, Ray Lalonde, who who came up and, and he had a tear in his eye almost. And he came up and he, he said, I'm so happy to meet you, Mr. Ramson. And of course this guy's, you know, uh, well, and he, he told me, you know, my wife's been terminally ill for the last two years. And I got involved in, in solar astronomy because of your website and I follow what you do. And I went out and, and used my solar telescope and it was the only respite I had from this horrible nightmare of my, my, my poor wife. And, uh, you know, he credited me with saving his life during this uh, depressing period where his, his wife was ill. And I, and I thought, man, you know, he <laughs> probably had no idea that that statement to me totally wiped out all kind of bad thoughts I was having that day and frustrations I was having in my life. So it's a, it's a back and forth, um, it's a back and forth thing. And, you know, I've, I've battled with bouts of depression of my own from um, being in the military and just, you know, losing my dad at an early age, those kind of things. I got them all my own problems too, just like Kevin does, just like Jeff Simon. Everybody has their own problems. And there is no better way to better your outlook on life than through um, giving, freely giving to others. You know, altruism is the number one cure for any depression you're suffering, in my opinion. So, um, you know, the benefits, and I, I could talk about this all day long, man, but I look at this as, not really astronomy. I don't even consider myself an astronomer, although I probably have more time at the H Alpha eyepiece than anybody alive. Um, it's all been in the pursuit of bettering the community that I live in, because if I help other people get involved in something that makes them more intelligent, able to use reason, then it benefits all of us and our community gets better. So that's actually a good segue because you since the eclipse, you know, you've kind of stepped back in a way um, from doing your typical solar outreach. Um, it, Charlie Bates still exists, and you still do stuff, um, but yours, your local efforts have evolved into kind of a newer program called Sunlit Earth. Can you tell people what that's all about? Because that, yeah, that elaborates same. further. It's the same. It's the same thing to me. And... You know, when I announced all this, it, it was kind of a kind of a wave went through the community where, oh, he's he's quitting. He's no longer doing any. any. I, that wasn't the case at all. Um, the Sunlit Earth is an affiliate in the United States of this study of the sun. I mean, this like this picture on my laptop or on my uh, iMac here is a barn owl. And when you look at something beautiful in nature like this, you're seeing the sun, you're seeing a reflection of different wavelengths of light. I mean, these feathers are diffracting, refracting, reflecting and absorbing all the various wavelengths of light from the sun. And it's presenting an image into your, <laughs> into your optical sensors that you, we've evolved in our, in our skulls here, our light sensitive organs that have evolved over millions of years to read the light from our star because we evolved around this star. So it, it was advantageous for us it, back in the day in order to not be eaten, 
to be able to decipher the wavelengths of light coming from the core of that star 93 million miles away um, and giving us a readout of what's around us in the environment. So if you wanted to stay alive, you had to develop photoreceptive cells that could translate that information into usable knowledge. So that's why we got this big old brain and I got a huge one, as you can see. Um, you know, this is all a product of evolution based solely on the fact that we evolved and live around this star that emits this particular spectrum. So I thought, you know, why not study sunlight in the terrestrial environment? You know, it's, it's the same thing and it's so much more beautiful and it'll reach a whole new crowd of people because there's already millions of birders in the United States. There's millions of wildlife photographers. There's millions of people that just love nature and love hiking. Um, and everything you've ever seen that's beautiful or, or ugly or anything outside is a direct reflection of these wavelengths that we're studying through these telescopes. So let's do this for a while. And you know, the, the solar eclipse um, was a big event for me, but it was a trying time for all of us in the industry because of the rampant misinformation about the safety of solar telescopes and the safety of solar glasses and, and uh, the Amazon scams and all the fake glasses. You know, it was just a horrible display of unbridled guilt and stupidity on the part of many uh, overseas manufacturers that flooded the market with unsafe equipment. Um, and that left a really bad taste in my mouth. I saw a lot of these companies struggle to stay alive just simply because of a decision that Amazon made and decisions that, uh, that these manufacturers made. Um, so I decided, you know, this, this is, is, I've been doing it for 10 years. I said, you know, I'm going to do something different now. And this is what I'm going to do. So we're still supporting all the Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project uh, affiliates across the U.S. and around the world in 28 countries. And I still do solar, solar outreach events occasionally, not as much with the virus. But this sunlit earth allowed me a chance to take uh, young people from my community and from other communities around the country into the woods, uh, give them some binoculars. Uh, I take a little PST on a mount. I set it up. We start out by looking at the sun. I say, here's where the light comes from. And we take our binoculars and we, we go around in nature and talk about how those wavelengths are used. Like this tree is, is dark green because it wants to absorb a lot of the sun's light to stay warm. This leaf over here is turning brown because of the absence of chlorophyll. Uh, this animal's um, camouflage allows it to sit on this bark of this oak tree and not be seen by predators. This animal is totally manipulating sunlight in order to blend in with its surroundings where its food is, and that's how it survives. And there's just a, a million different ways to interpret what we're seeing in nature, and all of them tied directly to nucleosynthesis in the sun's core. And I can't tell you how fascinating that is to me. It's it. Every time I go, I learn something new from somebody on the hike and, and I see something new that I never even realized. And it's just been an incredible eye-opening experience for me and hopefully for the people on the hikes. And we, uh, of course, trimmed all that back uh, for COVID. But I have faith in our system. I have faith in science in our country. Um, I have faith that we're going to do the right thing coming up here in the next few months and that we're going to get a reliable virus vaccine and that I will be the first in line to take that sucker. Uh, I'll, I'll take two, please. Um, but I think we're gonna get over this horrible year we've had. Uh, things are gonna look better and people are gonna wanna go out and celebrate life again. And I wanna be ready with the program where they can do that. So that's what I'm doing through Sunlit Earth, but I still 100% am supporting the Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project. Um, so that's not going away anytime soon, as far as I know. In fact, we just added a new country to the program last week, Ecuador. And um, I may have been a little biased there so I can have a good contact in Ecuador when I go birding next time. But um, we are still 100% involved in spreading science around the world. Sunlit Earth is just a different way to share sunlight. Speaking of Kevin, I need you to post some photos of the local birds on my side here today. I'm tired of your excuses. Um, you've, you've, <laughs> you've taken a bunch in the past and you put up some fantastic shots, man. And uh, I'd like for you to continue doing that because it's the same thing. It's spectroscopy, no matter how you look at it. Nighttime astronomy, daytime astronomy, uh, wildlife, any way you look at it, these wavelengths of light generated by nuclear fusion are the reason we exist and the reason we see. That's something worth studying in my book. Now, you, you have something in your 
a collection of equipment that I think is really cool that few have, but you actually have Spectroscope. Um, I do. So could you elaborate on that to those who, because we haven't even touched on that um, with the past two episodes, but that's kind of, to me, I need to get one at some point, but that's kind of the ultimate uh, thing that, it's kind of the key that ties it all together at that point. Well, you are correct. Um, and I like to, to say this in my events. I'm trying to pull up a photo of that sucker. Um, everything, every practical applied science everywhere is based on spectroscopy, um, medical science, uh, everything. I mean, spectroscopy is where all the actual information comes from in astronomy. Spectroscopy is how people do uh, pathology in medicine is made with gas chromatography, uh, urine samples. If you have to get a job interview, um, the way you determine the composition of something, if you don't know what it is, is by the use of spectroscopy. Um, and a spectrograph is a device. Uh, here's a picture of it. Let's see if I can share my screen real quick. Uh, it's pretty killer. This picture is kind of weird. It's got my, um, my DSLR hooked up to this thing. <laughs> this is a Sheliac L High Res 3, which is a Lithro um, spectrograph. And I, I'm very fortunate in that I have a good name, a good friend named Ben Jenkins, who's a professor at the University of West Georgia. And he teaches this course and he got his uh, master's degree by doing a dissertation on this particular model spectroscope, spectrograph. So I have three or four versions of this. I have some handheld ones. I have a, an outreach version and I have this observational uh, observatory quality version. And this thing is designed to connect to the back of a telescope and it gives you the spectrum of anything you look at uh, at night. And I'll go ahead and play this. This is an actual, um, let, me, let me turn the volume down, hold on. This is an actual video of the display from inside the spectroscope. And what it does is it shows you absorption lines and emission lines and distribution and curves based on magnetic fields. And you can tell everything about anything <laughs> by, by looking through this device. You can attach it to a C14 or something and look at a galaxy and you can tell the speed the galaxy is rotating. You can tell the composition of the galaxy. You can tell its magnetic field strength. You can tell its distance by redshift. Uh, all of these things are done through spectroscopy. Um, you can just use it by itself, like I do, to look at the sun. And these are this video is showing you all the different absorption lines in the sun's visible light spectrum. And every single one of these lines means something. That's the sodium doublet that just went by right there. And that's the D1 and D2 lines created by sodium, which uh, Daystar makes a filter where you can look at the sun in that wavelength. We're coming up in the green area, so the magnesium triplet is coming up. And this is absorption lines made by magnesium atoms in the sun's chromosphere. But every single one of these lines tells a story of some electron movement in some atom in the sun. A lot of these lines are caused by iron atoms in the sun. Um, a lot of them are caused by helium, uh, hydrogen. There's the magnesium triplet there. Um, you know, these are all markers of what's, what something's made of. Anywhere you see this, anywhere in the universe indicates the presence of magnesium. And that's how things are done in uh, astronomy. So, yes, uh, the spectrograph from Sheliac, I'm not even sure if they're still made. I think they are, but there's computer, competitive versions out there. I'm pretty sure Michael Hattie over at Starlight Express has a, a pretty kick-ass spectroscope that he's putting out. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say kick-ass on the air. Um, but Michael Hattie is kick-ass. And, and there's, there's several available, you know, Woodland Hills sells the little handheld Shelly Axe that you just put up and you can see the absorption lines just by looking through it, man. So that's something we've always done. You know, we, when we started out in 2008, we started with solar imaging setups in the outreach event. And, you know, nobody was doing that at the time. There was, there was no one else out there doing anything near that. We had cameras and IMAX in each wavelength where the student come up to take their own videos and, and take their own pictures of the sun. We had the Sheliac spectrograph ready to use. You know, nobody was doing that. Uh, 
And then we had, you know, six telescopes, uh, two in each wavelength, so we could accommodate large groups. And that was just something that blew everybody away uh, when I did it. But, you know, I don't do anything small, as you've known from knowing me. Go big or go home. <laughs> big or go home. And I'm hoping that uh, since it spread so much around the country and the world that now that's become the standard. So um, I think it's been good for outreach. I think adding the spectroscope has been great for uh, outreach. You know, if you're going to do something, man, um, you know, do it right. And, and, and hopefully that's, that's rubbed off everywhere. And we we're, we're gone from the days of some dudes, you know, homemade dangerous solar scope out there by himself on the field to now it's not acceptable. You have to have, you know, something that's safe and you have to know what you're talking about. So if that's the only thing I've left for the rest of them, then that's great. So spectroscopy is important, Kevin. That was the basis of that whole conversation. That's the key. Um, so we're getting down to the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I know there's some questions on there, so I want to bring this into the Q&A session. Um, so if you guys have any questions for Steven, now's the time to throw them in the chat so we can get them in there. Uh, throw first, in. If I don't know the answer to your question, I'm not going to make up anything, just so you know. I'm just going to say I don't know. Um, first question, is there a good scope that I could use both visually and for imaging for solar? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the Coronado 90 millimeter uh, or any millimeter uh, Coronado telescope is fantastic for visual use. And it's also not bad for imaging. It uh, just depends on what you're going to do. If you're going to do more visual, then I would go with the tilt tuned at on. If you're going to do more imaging, I would probably go with the pressure tuned at on. Uh, if you want to do close up imaging, then I would go with the quarks, the Daystar stuff. Um, but yeah, most people start out with the Coronado PST, and I've seen world-class images from around the world taken through a PST that you, uh, you know, that, that rival the best images anyone's ever taken. So if I were starting out in solar astronomy and I wanted to get into it without breaking the bank, uh, that would be the, the scope I would buy, the Coronado PST. And I'm pretty sure Lunt offers a small scope similar to it. I mean, most people don't know this outside of the field, but, but you know, David Lunt, Andy's dad, designed the Coronado PST. It's the same family. Uh, Andy started out by working on putting them together. And, you know, Lunt evolved from that through a bunch of gyrations and a bunch of bad news stories we won't get into. But Lunt evolved from that whole relationship. So it's, it's all a very tight-knit group of people. And nobody's going to put their product over anyone else, else's. They're going to promote it for what they are so that everyone benefits. So if you want to just do visual mostly, you need to go with the, the Coronados. And if you want to do imaging mostly, you probably need to go with the Lunt's. But either one of them will provide a fantastic view uh, in either way that you're using it. Everyone started with the PST, so that's why I'm saying PST. Kind of been the, the gateway for most people. It's a gateway to emptying your wallet. Yes. <laughs> you start with a little 40, and then you end up with a double stack 90 or crazy. Yeah. You know, don't spend a bunch, don't blow a bunch of money on it. Just buy the base model PST, one Edelon, take the eyepieces that come with it, and you're going to get blown away by it, man. I mean, you, you're going to love it. You don't need to buy a bunch of extra junk. You don't need a fancy eyepiece with solar astronomy because it's one wavelength. There's no need for a Nagler chromatic aberration correcting eyepiece. You know, the crappier the eyepiece, the better because you're just trying to focus one wavelength. In fact, my seventh generation great grandfather, Jesse Ramsden, developed the Ramsden eyepiece, which is a notorious pile of crap. But if you use that on solar astronomy, you're going to be super happy with it. It's the cheapest eyepiece design you can buy. Nice. Sorry, Grandpa Jesse. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Next question. Have you uh, heard First of the Star the... Trek questions, man? I mean, uh, getting lit up by everybody on that. Uh, have you heard of the spec spectroscopy set from Field Tested Systems? I it's, have. So, what do you think of it? <laughs> I think it's outstanding, man. I mean, it's a great way to get into spectroscopy for night use. Um, Tom Field is a good friend of both of ours. We know him well. He's one of the best guys out there. Uh, he makes a little screw-on uh, star analyzer that you put on the end of your eyepiece. Uh, look through it, and you will see immediately the spectrum of that star spread out next to the star. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. And if you add a simple camera to that, any astronomy camera, um, and get it focused in there, you can use his RSpec software 
and it will analyze that spectrum for you. That is absolutely amazing because this is stuff that you needed an observatory in a university full of scientists to do 25 years ago. Now you can screw this onto your nighttime eyepiece, put in RSpec software, and, and you can analyze the exact composition of a star 50,000 light years away or a galaxy 10 million light years away or uh, the planet's atmosphere in our own solar system. It's an absolutely amazing device. Uh, the star analyzer and related accessories from field tested systems. I've got some friends who've messed with that and you know, I think it was like uh, like an eight inch Schmidt Cassegrain, like a standard C8. Yeah. And they pointed it at 3C273, which is the nearest quasar to Earth. And they were looking at the freaking redshift of this yeah, quasar well, done, man. two and a half billion light years away. And it's yeah. like, yeah, here it is. Imagine if the people that had that back in the 17th century, I mean, how far more advanced we'd be. But I should probably say that this is not designed for solar use. The star analyzer from field tested systems is strictly a nighttime deal. But I mean, it's the same stars, man. This one is just real close and you need more protection. But it's the same exact science, spectroscopy. And that is a fantastic way to get into the actual technical side of nighttime astronomy. Perfect. So um, me likey. Me likey is the answer. Like, um, any books to get, uh, sorry, any books to get started with the journey into solar astronomy and spectroscopy? Yes, I want to get, I want to get this name right, but um, the Sun, the Earth, and the Near Earth System by, I want to get this right, so just a second. You didn't see that I don't have any pants on. <laughs> it is a Zoom meeting. I mean, come on. The Sun, the Earth, and the Near Earth System by Dr. John Eddy, E D D Y. John Eddy. It's available as a PDF online that you can read. It's also available as a hard copy or a paperback book. That is the single greatest book I've ever read on the Sun for the layman and solar astronomy. Steel Hill gave me a copy of that book about 12 years ago. And that's the best book I've ever read on the subject, and I highly recommend it. Perfect. Uh, next question. What starter kit for spectroscopy do you recommend? I recommend a diffraction grating from Rainbow Symphony. They sell glasses. They also sell gratings that will produce a spectrum. Uh, and if that's something that's not to your liking, a simple prism uh, will do the job, man. Isaac Newton discovered this field using a piece of angled glass that produced a spectrum of light across a piece of paper. And he measured the temperatures of the different wavelengths of light. He discovered spectroscopy. Uh, his equipment was not sensitive enough to see absorption lines uh, and emission lines. And that was done later on by some other guys. Um, but a prism will show you the spectrum, a diffraction grading that you can get anywhere. They call them fireworks glasses, okay? There you go. There's a This is a real diffraction grading. Oh, that's a real diffraction grading. Yeah. Um, any of those things, man. Uh, you can just take a CD-ROM uh, if you have one still. You know, I know that's old school. And just look through the CD-ROM and you'll see a spectrum. I mean, spectrums are everywhere around you. And when you get into this field, you'll start seeing them all over the place. A good beginner's deal, uh, probably a quality prism off of Amazon would be a good way to start. And then for use in a telescope, I would probably say the star analyzer from Field Tested Systems is probably the number one cheapest and most accurate way to get started in this for nighttime use. For daytime use, go get a Coronado PSD. Quit messing around, man. I mean, come on. What was the name of that book again? The Sun, the Earth, and the Near Earth System by John Eddy, E-D-D-Y. Let's see if I can get a... I found it. Some people were asking about it in the chat, so I just wanted to bring it's it It's an absolutely fascinating, fascinating book written by one of the foremost solar astronomers of our day. He's deceased now. Um, he was a, a friend with Steel Hill back in the day. Um, but in my opinion, you will never, you will not find a book that's easier to understand and more comprehensive of the field than that. There you go. So this is, this is the book right here. So yeah, that's on Amazon. Strongly recommend. And no, I don't get any royalties. I wish I did. I wish I'd written that book. 
Uh, let's see. Got a couple more minutes left. Uh, important question. This comes from Jeff. Uh, which actor is the best performer of Captain Kirk? Come on, man. Let's get with the real question. What are you talking about? <laughs> the best captain on, on Star Trek? Yeah. yeah. The best um, Captain Kirk actor. Well, there's only one Captain Kirk actor. That's William Shatner. But I think you might have meant the best captains. Uh, this answer may surprise some people. Um, I think Star Trek Enterprise with uh, the guy, what was his name? The guy that had the dog, Captain Archer. Um, I think that's the best version of Star Trek of any of them. And I'll tell you why. Star Trek Enterprise was a prequel to the original series where Earth had just overcome its final world war. Uh, stupidity was everywhere. You know, we had herd stupidity is a term I like to use. We're never going to get herd immunity, but we definitely already have herd stupidity. Um, and Star Trek Enterprise was the story of the first warp engine being built uh, with the help from the Vulcans. And man, I can't wait till the Vulcans get around to coming and visiting us and rescuing us from what we've got now. So uh, Scott Bakula playing Captain Archer would be my favorite uh, Star Trek captain. There you go, Jeff. And anyone who disagrees can hit the road, Jack. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, here's a good one. How many tribbles do you have in your telescopes? I have one tribble right here. And you know, all they do is eat and breed. So if you stick around for another half an hour, I'll have 20 or 30 dribbles. And you know, there you go. Excellent, <laughs> excellent show on Star Trek um, Deep Space Nine was the episode Trials and Tribulations where they took the footage from the actual Tribble episode on the original series and redid it with the uh, crew from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Fantastic show, man. Awesome. Well, Unless you guys have any more questions, I, don't, I think we got them all. Um, if you, if there's more, now's the time to throw them in. Um, but yeah, Stephen, thanks for taking the the time out of your, your week and battling through the hurricane and what have Kevin, you. Kevin, you're a VIP in my book, dude. Anything you want, you got. You know that. And uh, come join our Facebook group at Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project or Sunlit Earth. We have Facebook groups for both of those, and we'd love to see uh, your viewers over there. Uh, we should have all of Steven's information, like his website, um, in the description, down in the video description there below. So if you're watching this live, it should be down there. If it's not, I'll double check, make sure it's there. Or if you're watching this later, because these are recorded, um, you can go down there and we should have all the information down there so you guys can check out uh, Charlie Bates Solar Astronomy Project. And if you want to get involved with that, um, you can reach out to Steven and... Uh, Hopefully you help with that when the world returns to normal. Um, or you can take a look at, like I said, like Stephen was saying, the Facebook group for Sunlit Earth and check out all the cool stuff they're doing out over there. Yeah, Simon, check out these Star Trek burns, brother. That's the authentic deal right here, man. Captain Kirk. If, if you guys are wondering who Jeff Simon is, he's the director of uh, Skywatcher. He's my boss who lets me do this. Um <laughs> He'll be on the last episode of the year uh, here. Um, so if you want to ask him questions or why Skywatcher is the way it is or why we have crazy people on like this, uh, you can ask him at the end of the year uh, at the last final episode of the year. So that's who Jeff is, who we're referring to. He's watching. Um, I'm sure he's having a field day with all of this. Um but yeah, so that wraps up our hour. Thank you all for watching. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Steven, thank you very much. Um, you, like Kevin. I said, if you guys want to check out Steven's stuff, um, we'll put his information in the description if it's not already there. Um, or yeah, go check out Sunlit Earth on Facebook. Um, if you don't like Facebook, well, I don't like it either, but that's how it is. So um, but yeah, go out, observe the sun, share it with somebody, you know, go look at the spectrum you know expand your knowledge and share it with others and hopefully make the world a little bit better place one person at a time so uh thanks for all for watching uh thanks steven for taking the time um and we will catch you guys uh next week uh 10 a.m pacific right here at the Skywatcher uh usa youtube channel so thanks very much guys take care and clear skies <laughs>